your Bible reading calendar, you come across Ezekiel, and it's kind of deep. But within there, there are some things that are pretty <clears throat> interesting and more obvious <clears throat> and something for us to look at. And so Ezekiel chapter 33, part of my Bible reading earlier this week, <clears throat> and maybe yours as well. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 1, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword and cometh upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and take not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, but his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and <clears throat> blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of, at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, <clears throat> speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, say, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, and all his righteousness shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity shall he, that he hath committed, he shall die for it. <clears throat> let's stop there <clears throat> and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opportunity tonight to open the Bible and to meet together. We pray for all those missing in our midst who have illness and sickness and we know it's just going to take its course, and we pray that you would help us to weather it and to be able to come out on the other side stronger and healthier, and, and that you would just uh, be with each and every individual, and for Norman as he travels, and his family as well, and uh, others, <coughs> and their personal individual needs. And uh, we do thank you for those who were in church this morning and those who are here tonight. I pray that you just guide what is said now, and you would be honored and glorified in all things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see this passage, and it's an interesting passage concerning warning and uh, the warning that needs to be given, the warning for danger that is coming, and the warning of, of judgment to come, and especially the warning to the wicked. <coughs> we see the love of God. We see in verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning, he shall deliver his soul. God doesn't care to have anyone die. It says in verse 11, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way 
and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? That reminds me of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, I don't believe this idea that God has predestined people in a certain direction. That, that's just, that just paints God as terrible. That God has just predetermined that some certain amount of people and certain ones are just going to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish, not even the wicked. Even some of the wicked that you and I might not care if they perished. He doesn't want them to perish. He died for everyone. Christ died for the whole world. And it's a trophy of grace whenever a wicked person gets saved and is rescued from hell where they deserve. And so notice the love of God here, not willing that any should perish. Also, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. Who, talking about God, will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. How many does God care about? All men to be saved. He tasted death for every man, the Bible says. And, of course, those who don't care what the Bible says and have their theology that's more important than their Bible will try to tell you that that doesn't really mean that and all doesn't mean all and all that kind of thing. Listen, the love of the Lord God is obvious here. God's desire is that we warn the wicked. Now, let's look at the wicked's condition. The wicked are wicked. They have problems. There's a serious situation. And, by the way, what makes you not wicked? What makes any of us not wicked? Only the righteousness of Christ. And so without Christ, I think we sang it just a little bit ago, how firm a foundation. The blood of Christ is the only foundation that we have, the only hope that we have. And, and, and so the wicked's condition, it says in verse 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. First of all, the problem with the unsaved person, and it doesn't matter if you and I think that they're not so bad. If you're unsaved, you're, you're classified as wicked and on your way to hell, okay? It doesn't matter if you're the nicest person on planet Earth. It doesn't matter if you were Mother Teresa or some other person that everyone thinks was wonderful. The point is, if you are, are without Christ, you're on your way to hell because self-righteousness won't work as we see in this passage. So the wicked's condition is they are dying. They are dead. They are getting closer to death than they were before. The Bible tells us that you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. And so the unsaved, the wicked's sad condition is that they are dying and except they repent no matter who they are, no matter how nice they are or how religious they are. And the, the lie and the trap of religion is that it gets people to think they're okay. I mean, after all, I don't do anything bad and I've never been in jail or prison and I go to church all the time. Listen, self-righteousness is truly wicked. And there's a lot of people in it. They're trapped in it and they don't know it. But what we see here is a loving opportunity in verse 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. God's desire is not that they perish. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. As we go to John chapter 3, I just want you to understand that there are people in this world that you and I have a hard time loving. You and I, let's just be honest, we have a hard time appreciating. Can I tell you something? They need an invitation to God just like anybody else. It might not be easier for you, but you need to invite that person who you don't like. Maybe the neighbor who rubs you the wrong way to come to a special service, to hear the gospel, to witness to them whatever it might be. Again, verse 16, God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. That's you and I who are saved. But he that believeth not is condemned already. <coughs> That's the problem. They are without Christ. Verse 36, he that believeth on the son <coughs> hath, right now, present tense, everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son of, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is their condition. And we see a loving opportunity for God's, pe for God's people to reach out to people who are lost and to believe on Christ. And it does not mean, it does not mean when we say believe on Christ to recognize him as Messiah. Listen, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you realize that Jesus is actually just a, a generic name. And so don't, don't, don't fall for this, you know, this respect for Jesus. I mean, most people don't name their kids Jesus anymore, but Jesus was Joshua in the Old Testament. That's the same name. What made him special was Christ, the Messiah, Lord, Lord God and Christ, the Messiah. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't suffice for God. Uh, God won't respect just someone who has just, just a generic respect for a good Jesus. I, I've said this before. I heard it when I was a kid, and it's a good way to say it. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Well, he was a good man. I mean, no. Who is he? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Because there are religions who have respect for Jesus. You know, the Muslims have a respect for Jesus. The Jews don't. The Jews despise him altogether. But the Muslims, they recognize Jesus as a prophet. But you know what? That's not good enough. Jesus said, there's only one good, and that is God. If someone says, well, Jesus was a good man, well, do good men lie? No, good men don't lie. Well, do you know that Jesus claimed to be God? He claimed to be the only way to eternal life. No man comes to the Father but through him. Is Jesus God or not? Because you can't have it halfway. You can't say he's good unless you agree that he's God. Because if he's not God, he wasn't even good. He's the biggest liar the world's ever lived. And here we are doing all this Christmas stuff for a big lie. So either he is fully everything he said he was, or he's not even good. So don't compromise and get settled for some halfway answer. It's either all or none with Christ. It has to be. And anything less is wicked. Do you realize there are pastors and pastorettes who don't even believe he was virgin born? I saw something that's just ridiculous. Just, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning on social media that some somebody saying, you know, such and such a church ought to just take the whole Sunday the 25th off and give their staff people a break or whatever it was. And I thought to myself, oh, that makes sense. That, that just makes real good sense. We're going to show our love and respect for Christ by not going to church. Really? Because we're so busy celebrating him, we don't have time for him? That's the world that we live in today. That's the religious world we live in today, okay? And that's where we're at with the mindset of people. People today are sufficiently satisfied in their own minds if they know a historical Jesus. And that's where we're at in America. They saw a movie, and, and you know how it is. I mean, I'm the same way. I listen to a Louis L'Amour audio, so I know Louis L'Amour. 
<laughs> I've never read a Louis L'Amour book in my life. And some people, I watched a movie about Jesus, so I know what the Bible says. No, you don't. No, you don't. Don't let anything suffice for the word of God. Because the word of God's Jesus is different. It warns us in the New Testament, there is another Jesus and another gospel and another Christ. That's what the Bible warns of. And understand, we have lots of people today who are familiar with a Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's the Jesus of the, of the Bible. That doesn't mean they have salvation. So beware of this. Be understanding of this. And notice here, back in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 12. Ezekiel 33, 12. Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Verse 13. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live... If he trust in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness, all his righteousness is, shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. It's kind of a play on words, but God is saying, look, you think you're righteous of yourself and you trust in your righteousness, you're going to fail because there's no way. There's no way. I know this won't happen because heaven already knows the details. But let's just pretend, as they do a lot with jokes about standing at the gate of heaven, and I don't think St. Peter's going to be there. But sta- I mean, I believe he'll be in heaven, but I don't think he's going to be at the gate. And standing at the gate of heaven, and quote-unquote St. Peter says, why should I let you in? Well, as a pastor. I mean, I was a pastor, and I went to church like, you know, all the time. And, and I even wore a tie when I went to church. That's going to come for something. I mean, I got lots of self-righteousness and my kids and my wife. And you could ask, you can ask all those other people that lived in Custer where I live. None of those answers are going to work. None of them. None of them. Now, heaven doesn't need to ask me, and I won't give that kind of answer. Why should you be allowed into heaven? Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And I've been trusting in that for a long time. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust anything else. And that's the point here. All the way in the Old Testament, this self-righteous trust. And so I would encourage you to investigate someone's response to Christ when you talk to them. Because their condition is, well, I mean, I'm not a murderer and I have a respect for Jesus, but, but is he the Lord Jesus Christ? virgin born, son of God, creator of the world, died on the cross to pay for everyone's sin, including yours. And without your repentance and turning to him and him alone for your salvation, you have no hope of heaven. You can't trust in anything else. If you said, well, well, I went to church a lot and I got baptized and, and I'm, I'm a good person. Those are wrong answers. <clears throat> That's self-righteous answers. Paul knew this about the Israelites. In Romans chapter 10, here's what he said. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul was brokenhearted for his own people. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And that's a lot of people today. I mean, a lot of people went to church today somewhere. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. There it is. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness 
of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That's it. There's no way you can claim anything else. And please, I, it's a cop-out, and I've done it because I'm nervous, and I don't want to be confrontational, and I don't want to cause, and it's awkward and all this. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, but let me ask you, is he and he alone your salvation? How do you get to heaven? And if they say, well, I've been a good person, but, but do you realize that you haven't always been a good person? The Bible says all have sinned and come short. So somewhere along the line, do you know you're a sinner? One time someone here in Custer years ago at, the, at their door said, oh, I'm not a sinner. You, you know, if they say that, there's not much more to the conversation. Now, what, what, what should I do at that point? I didn't do anything, but well, I'm sorry. Um, the Bible does say we're all sinners. Well, I'm not a sinner. Would you mind taking this and just reading it? I, I, I wasn't going to be ugly. I wasn't going to get into an argument with them. But there's not much you can do if they can't admit that they're sinners. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter if the sin was really, really, really bad in our eyes or something more simplistic. It's sin, and it makes us sinners. And so understand, the wicked's condition is is that a lot of them are convinced because they are self-righteous. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And in this world today, it's not too hard to find somebody who's worse than me. It's not good enough. Remember in Luke 18, when the Pharisee prayed, he was so self-righteous. And the publican bowed his head and smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, only one of them had their prayer answered. Only one of them was heard. The self-righteous was ignored, and, and the self-righteous went his way, never knowing God. Now, 2 Chronicles 5, 21, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God, he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's, that's a great verse that I would use if I, if it was called to mind and the Holy Spirit helped me to remember it. Look, look, God made Jesus to be sin for me on the cross. And you know how I've, if some of you have seen me taking the piece of paper and writing two columns and, and putting all the marks of sin in my column in the pure, clean, white column for Jesus' side. God made Jesus to be sin. In other words, he he crossed out my name and put his name and crossed out his name and put my name and I have his righteousness and he took my sin on the cross and I don't deserve it and it wasn't fair but that's what salvation is and we illustrate that and the last time I used that in my office I kept the little card it's still sitting on my desk it's just a constant reminder of him trading places for me he paid a debt he did not owe and I owed a debt I could not pay and that is what that's what the righteousness of Christ is. It's given and imputed upon us. We didn't earn it or deserve it. And the wicked, their condition is they're on the, they're on the slate with the sin still. And the self-righteous, they're even harder to convince because they don't need anybody to be their substitute. That's why sometimes it's easier for a jailbird and a prisoner to get saved than a goody-two-shoes who's been a goody-two-shoes in the county all his life. 
because they're so self-righteous, because they're so self-sufficient, and everyone pats them on the back. No one would question where they went when they died. Boy, eternity is going to be a big surprise for a lot of people. That's what John Newton said, the guy that wrote the song Amazing Grace. He said, one amazing thing about heaven is, is I'm going to get there and find out there's a lot lot of people that just aren't there that I thought would be there. He said, the other amazing thing about heaven is, there are going to be a lot of people there I didn't think were going to be there. He said, the third most amazing thing about heaven is, I'm going to be there. I love that. Because that's what this is. This is about the grace of God and not self-righteousness. So the wicked's condition, <clears throat> we see, we have our idea of wicked. But self-righteousness is a huge wickedness and a grievance. It is a, it is a, a blasphemy to God, self-righteousness. It is an insult to God. So the responsibility of the wicked is to repent, as we've seen. If they receive warning from the watchman, they are to repent, and repent means to turn. Well, I think the best verse in the Bible, there's two verses I'm going to go to. First one is 1 Thessalonians 5.9. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. A lot of people have repentance confused, and they think it means something. They confuse it with penance. Don't confuse repentance with penance. Repent is simply a turning. And if I can get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it was in here earlier tonight when I was looking for it. There it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they say, he's talking about the Thessalonians, talking to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 says, For they themselves show of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I was mentioning it this morning in my Sunday school class. As I, as I read the book of Exodus or I read about the Hebrew slaves and, or just anybody of the, the Old Testament Israelites, one thing that blows me away, and even later on in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, like when they're, the kings and all the mess there was with the northern and southern tribes and all that, it never ceases to amaze me how that, that, for instance, the Hebrew slaves could leave Egypt and then worship the gods of Egypt. Why would you do that? Or even worse, one king there in, in Kings and Chronicles conquered a people and took their altar home with him and then started worshiping their god. Duh, you just conquered their people. Now you want to worship their, their god that failed them? What are you doing? But that's what people do. We worship false gods and false religion. We worship false idols. And those idols, we know, in other lands, those idols might be statues or carved out things that, that you know, third world country and, and natives have made. But the truth is every culture and civilization has some kind of an idol or false god or false religion or false idea. In Mexico, of course, they have their statues of Mary and, and a crucified crucifix of Jesus and all these things that just really are idols and whatnot. And, the, and they, they, they kiss these things and do all kinds of weird things. But, but the truth is, we have idols of all shapes and sizes, sizes, and it could just be the idol of good works, the idol of self-righteousness, the idol of, of, of whatever it is we're trusting in. Maybe it's just the idol of a baptism. Some people are clinging to their baptism as their salvation. They got, they got baptized. That means they're going to heaven. Then they cling to that. Some people cling to the fact that they knock on doors and give out awake magazines to everybody. 
or write letters to, you know, in the name of Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have their idolatry and their false religion. But what salvation simply is, what repentance is, is when you turn from whatever else you're trusting in. And some of you in here used to be Catholic, and you had a, a Catholicism false way of salvation. And when you got saved, you turned from it to God. You turned from all of it to Jesus and only him is the way of, that is what repentance, it's just simply a turning. Turning from something to something else, that's the simplest way to say it. And so the wicked need to turn from whatever else it is they're trusting in and, and admit that they need God. Acts twenty twenty one says, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turning to God and faith in Christ. It's almost as if God's the judge and Christ is the lawyer. I'm turning to God and my faith is in the lawyer. <clears throat> that, that's, that's the concept here. And the responsibility of the wicked is to do just that. Now, let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 33. And we'll probably end up back in the New Testament a little bit more, but Ezekiel. 33. I've said a lot tonight um, towards the wicked and towards the unsaved, but could you raise your hand tonight if you're not saved? Can I, could I just see your hands for a minute? If you're not saved, could you raise your hand? Nobody here is raising their hand. So all that I just said really doesn't really do a whole lot of good unless everybody that is in here goes and tells them because I just preached all that about the wicked not being saved to people who say they are saved. So let's go back to Ezekiel 33 again. In Ezekiel 33, it says, verse 4, Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood be upon his own head. If, If someone doesn't listen to the warning, that's their fault. It's their responsibility. Verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Then verse 6 says, but if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. In other words, if you're the watchman and if you're saved, you ought to know better. It's kind of like a comic I saw one time. I don't mean to call it a comic, but a a, a drawing. And it showed the picture of a car going down a road. And it showed a man standing at the edge of where a chasm is and the bridge was out. And the man is standing at the edge of this, what used to be the bridge, and he's standing there saying, oh, my word, the bridge is out. Oh, there's headlights coming. Oh, I should warn them. Oh, but what if they don't like it that I'm going to slow them down and, 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 and disrupt their trip? Should I, should I say anything or just let them go by? Look, you're a watchman. I mean, everybody on planet Earth knows that you should have the understanding that you are responsible to tell that person, Stop! The bridge is out. Same thing as if your neighbor's house was on fire. Oh, their house is on fire. I should write them a letter. (laughs) 
Verse 7, so thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and he, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Our job, first of all, is to hear the word. Look at verse 7. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth. Some of us in here have heard a lot of the word. You've been reading the Bible on your own. You've been coming to church. You've been hearing lots of preaching, and you've heard the word. And once in a while, we can get someone to come to church with us. It's very rare, but once in a while, we can actually get people to come to church. But let's be honest. Normally, the people who come to church are the believers. So how do we tell the unbelievers? Well, they didn't come to church. Guess they got to go to hell. Well, maybe we ought to take it to them. If you read the book of Acts, they didn't just try to get them to come to their church. They took it to the streets. When it says they went to the temple, that wasn't the church. That was the Judaism temple. And they were having public preaching time and giving out the gospel there at the temple. They were spreading the word wherever they went. We live in a society today that says, you keep your religion inside your building. That's what most people in the Custer County think. You, you can believe whatever, but keep it inside that building. That's not what my Bible teaches. And so we're to warn them. It says that we're to hear the word. And you know what James says, don't be just hearers of the word, but doers also. Don't just hear the word, but do it. It says to continue in the word which you've heard. And so when you and I have heard the truth and we know the truth, and there's probably people in here that you know enough of the, of the gospel message to share it with someone else. And if nothing else, you can at least have it in your pocket. And you can share it with them that way. But let's be honest, there's people in Custer that don't read. We know some people. Their children have come to our church and the parents cannot read. So what good is it to say, oh, I gave them a try. But they can't read. To warn them from God of impending danger. The bridge is out. Your house is on fire. Don't you know what's coming? What's the impending danger? The Bible says that there is a judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in Revelation 20, there is the great white throne judgment. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a day when it, time will be no more. Acts chapter 20, if you would. Every one of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, that doesn't mean that, that with my coworkers, and I drive a school bus, and so I have coworkers. And, and, and that doesn't mean that I'm like grabbing them by the shirt and shaking them and saying, you got to get saved. But it, it wouldn't necessarily be wrong if I did that, other than that might be a little too much over the top. But I can tell you this, that my coworkers have been invited to things, have been given 
uh, the gospel has been, I've shared with them, I've tried to share with them, and I need to even do a, a better job with some of them. I mean, why are we having a ladies' Christmas party? Because the ladies like to have fun and well, that might be, but you know what? The real reason is maybe to bring a girlfriend to that party who needs to hear the gospel or maybe needs to find out that there is a church that would love them and would ha- like to have them come and be a part. The point is, though, like I said this morning, the purpose is to share the gospel with people because don't let the devil lie to you like the Billy Graham crusade has lied to many people. If truly 85 people, a percent, 85% of people in America were saved, how did we get Joe Biden as president? There's no way that 85% of America is saved. No way. You believe that? Ha! Ah, I got beachfront property in Arizona to sell you. 85% of this country is not saved. I think 85% of this country knows something about Jesus, but they're not saved. Let's stop fooling ourselves. Let's stop this. We need to recognize that just because they know it up here in their head doesn't mean they're truly born again. So let's understand that we need to take time and listen to what our neighbors and friends and loved ones really believe. What do they actually believe about Jesus? What do they actually believe about Christ? What do they really understand? And I want you to see something because Paul said something that often make you sit up and say, okay, I get what he's saying now. Acts chapter 20, it's towards the end of his life. He's going to go to Rome. He's going to be martyred. And in Acts 20, verse 26, it says, Wherefore, I take to you record this day. I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What did Paul mean when he said he was pure from the blood of all men? Do you have any idea what might What Old Testament he might be referring to when he said, I am pure from the blood of all men? Ezekiel 33, their blood on your hands. Now question, does that mean that Paul had gotten everybody saved he'd ever met? No. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to warn them. We can't save them. We just warn them. Was Paul saying that every human being on planet Earth has been warned? No, just all the ones he's come in contact with. You know what the Bible indicates in Philippians and Colossians? It indicates that there were people who were, <clears throat> who were supposed to guard Paul as the, you know, like the guards because he's under arrest. It indicates that they were getting saved. I mean, if you're tied to Paul, pretty soon you're going to hear about Jesus. When life hands you lemons, recognize it's lemonade. Recognize what Jesus is doing. Recognize, I love what Caleb, our oldest son, said last week. Yeah, I missed my flight. It was my stupid fault. I slept in. I missed my flight. Had to catch a different flight. But then he said, but I was on the plane with a guy for just five minutes. He had paid for a first-class seat, and somehow they messed up, and he ended up having to sit in the very back with me. And for about five minutes, we were talking. And I just handed him a track and asked him about, you know, if he knows the Lord and give him a track. And he stuck in his pocket. And then they, they came back and said, Mr., we found an empty seat. You can come. He said, I only had the fight. But he said, if I hadn't been on that plane, I wouldn't even sat with that guy. We don't know why God arranges certain things. You read Acts chapter 8, and this Ethiopian eunuch is riding along in a chariot, and here's this preacher trying to hitchhike a ride. And it was all to give him the gospel. And then the gospel went with that Ethiopian back to Africa, and who knows how many people got saved. Our job is to constantly be aware of this warning thing because most people are not aware. 
most people, if you go to a funeral that's not a Bible-believing funeral, it's like, he was a good man, she was a good person, and we know that they're in a better place now. Why do you know they're in a better place now? Well, because they were a good person. That's not what the Bible says. <clears throat> I pray that sometime in the future, the Lord will give me the freedom and the blessing from the family to say, Ralph is here in this casket. And to be honest with you, the guy was a loser. But he's in heaven because he got saved. He is not in heaven because he's a good person. He's in heaven because Jesus was God and Jesus gave him his goodness. Woo! You know what? If I had the blessing and the freedom to do that, there'd probably be somebody say, whoa, that is true. I knew Ralph. He was kind of a doofus, but I do remember him saying something about Jesus at the end of his life. Listen, that's the point, is that we give people the warning of the truth. I was taught years ago, and I do my best, whenever I have a funeral of someone I don't know where they are, I don't ever mention that I think they're in heaven. It's a blessing when you have the funeral of a Christian and you know where they are. But friend, we got to be honest about this because Satan has done a number on us and he's gotten us to say, well, as long as they raised their hand and said something. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that nobody in these huge crusades that you know Billy Graham and others have had, I'm not saying nobody, because I know I've met people who have gotten saved. I'm just saying that if the numbers were honest, there's no way our country would be like it is today. So we got people pretending or thinking a false salvation. Something's wrong. So we need to not just assume because someone goes to church that they're saved. Or that because someone didn't raise their hand tonight that they're saved. Or that because they sing next to us in church they're saved. We should recognize that we should have, a, and, and by the way, if you are saved, it ought not be bothersome to you if someone asks you about your salvation. And so he says, verse 26 again, wherefore I take to you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He said, I'm just telling you, I, as far as I know in my conscience, there's not anybody that I've come in contact with that God wanted me to witness to that I failed to do so. Look back at chapter 18 and verse 6, verse six Acts 18, 6. He said this concerning the Jews. The Jews were so, were so opposed to Paul, they hated Paul with a passion because he was a Pharisee, he was one of them, and he get, became a Christian. And this is what Paul said in chapter 18, verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go into the Gentiles. Again, what Old Testament passage is he referring to? He's saying, look, I have warned you, and I've been stoned by you, and I've been persecuted by you, and now I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. You've been warned. Now, we've got to be careful. 
we've got to be real careful. Don't ever, ever get into some kind of fistfight argument with somebody over their salvation. But at the same time, it's okay to say, look, my job is to warn you. I can't make you get saved. I can't make you believe. That's up to you. But my job is to warn you. And you've been warned. And if you die without Christ, at least your blood's not on my hands. That sounds pretty serious. Well, it is serious. Have you ever opened up an obituary and your heart stopped? Have you ever opened up an obituary and said, oh, no, 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 I meant to tell them and I didn't tell them. You and I are Christians because somebody else cared. Now it's our turn. But I don't want them to think bad of me. What would you rather? You got to be obnoxious sometimes. I'm not saying ugly or unkind or rude even, but you've got to be a little bit obnoxious if you're going to get their attention. It's obnoxious for someone to flag you down the middle of the road and tell you to stop. Man, if they're telling you to stop because the bridge is out, that might be something they appreciate. And if they don't appreciate it, at least you told them. If you bang on my door at 3.30 this next morning, I'm not going to be real happy with you. But if my house is on fire, I'll forget it. I'll get over it. And you know how many wonderful stories there are of people who were so irritated with the Christian and then crying later on and saying but they kept going and wouldn't stop that's what we gotta we gotta recognize look I just I can't save the world but I at least I can keep the blood off of my hands the way I look at it is if I have any kind of a relationship with anybody I better have at least talked to them about the Lord and showed them something that they need to know. I'm not saying if I'm walking into Menards and someone's walking out of Menards, hi, how are you doing? And, and I'm not saying that that's my responsibility that just went by. But I'm just saying that, you know, you, you go to the post office, you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station, you go different places, you get to know people, you get to talk to people, you buy something on Facebook Marketplace, or whatever it might be, you do this, you do that, and they get to know you, you get to know them. Do they know what you know about salvation? I can't make them all even come to church. I have a coworker that has that wants nothing to do with God. It just never opens up to it, but I'm still going to talk to him about it. I still asked him, hey, would your wife be interested in coming? Oh, no, no. Why? And you know what happens to me like it happens to you, I'm sure? Rejection, rejection, rejection. Oh, I'm not going to say anything anymore. It, it, the Lord never said it'd be easy. Keep on keeping on. Because that's our responsibility. That's our responsibility. And the disciples, you know how most of them died? All but the apostle John. You know how most how the rest of them died? They were martyred. They were Peter was crucified upside down, history says. Thomas, I think it was, was tied to a rope, tied to a horse, and drugged through the streets. 
The only one that didn't get killed or executed was John, but they boiled him in oil and somehow we lived through it. But they believed something and they were willing to tell people about it. And that's what we have to do. Whether it's just an invitation for a Christmas party where they'll hear the gospel, whether it's an invitation for a Christmas program where they're going to hear the gospel, whether it's a track that we give them and say, hey, would you take the time to just read this? Next week when I come in here, I'm going to ask you what you thought of it. Let's just make sure that we're just not living our life. And like the missionary said on Wednesday night, if you were here, I think you were blessed. The Filipino missionary that was here Wednesday night said, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. We can't excuse ourselves or then just, you know, give them a book or give them a video and tell them, here, now it's off my hand. No, we need to tell them what, if you're saved, you can tell them what Jesus did for you. It pops up on my memory every Thanksgiving. Larry Matheson, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my church family, and I'm thankful that I'm saved. And you know why I share it every time it pops up? And I tag Larry's name to it, because Larry's got friends on Facebook. I'm not looking forward to Larry's funeral. But one day I'm going to stand up and say, that guy was a real bum, but man, he got saved. Just kidding. And I know there'll be people here to listen to the funeral message. But let's not wait for the funeral. Let's give the warning now. That's what it's all about. That's what the purpose is. The purpose. Why are we here? Because we're supposed to be a lighthouse. What does a lighthouse do? It warns people the danger let's close in prayer Lord thank you for opportunity to be 